0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell.
1: Contact Cordell, Cordell Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. We're doing this one live from Kevin's condo. Thank you to Kevin. Uh, First up, our editor-in-chief, the man who would not be denied at the presser, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, sir? What's
2: going on, pressing? We're finally doing a live broadcast. (laughs) And we've got a couple margaritas, that's why we're laughing (laughs) and grinning. Don't ever let Ali uh, get away with not asking
1: a question. He will He will stop you. Let's go over to Crescent City Sports. Mr. David Grubb, what's going on,
3: sir? Man, it's been a busy couple days. I'm glad to be with you guys. Yeah, it's nice. This is wild,
1: not doing this uh, from my closet with Let's- my headphones
3: on in the tar.
0: I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on.
1: Contact CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Actually seeing your faces. Now, if, if I ask a question you don't like, I'll actually see your reactions. And no doorbell, doorbell
3: restrictions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> David, of course, was too famous to join us today at the press conference. He was at on Eric Asher Radio, had no time for us. But who is here with us today, Mr. Kevin Berrios? We're, we're in your home. It's beautiful, by the way. You guys like it here? Oh, yes. This is gorgeous. Yeah, this is really Kevin, nice.
2: Yeah. Kevin's got the best pad. Nobody knows it. <laughs>
1: oh, and by the way, Kevin, tell us who you spotted last night down on Bourbon Street. Oh, I saw Stormy Daniels.
4: Very cool. How was that? It was cool. I was walking over to Latitude 29 from my house, so I cut across Bienville going uh, there, and she was uh, heading in for like an event at the Penthouse Club, I guess, uh, so I saw her getting out of there and all the madness that ensued from that.
1: Yeah, a wild night. I'm I'm sure that your girlfriend at the time diverted your gaze immediately. You know, <laughs> she don't care. That,
4: that's no
2: competition. His uh, girlfriend was impressed. And come on, I know leave Kevin alone.
1: All right, before we do this, uh, something that happened today that I really appreciated: Alvin Gentry and Del Demps. Before they got into their opening statements, they stopped and they they took a moment to acknowledge the fans, thank the fans, thank the Smoothie King Center, and everything that they did. And I want to take that opportunity here. You guys have been with me uh, all season long. Anytime I needed, the two of you, the three of us started it. And I'm of course referring to Ali and Kevin. But then Dave Grubb came in pretty early on, and I I think you've probably been on this. Uh, as much as all of us have. So thank you to you, sir. And thank you to all of our listeners. Of course, we've got a lot of dedicated questions we're going to get to today. Uh, and before we get to all those questions, let's just go around the room and just give a bit of thanks and uh, what this season meant to you. Let's start with Ollie. Oh.
2: It's been a great year. I, don't, I mean, if you're a long-standing Pelicans fan, I don't even have to tell you how special a season this was. We were promised something very special after Monty Williams' uh, 2014-50 season where, you know, he was guaranteed of sticking around if he had made the playoffs. Of course, he wasn't. And we were replaced by Alvin Gentry. The promises of this fast-paced system that was supposed to happen with, of course, Anthony Davis looking all mightier than thou. But you know what? They never got off the ground those first two seasons. Granted, there was a lot of injuries. But you know what? It was just very disappointing. So to have a season like this where fans, you know, they've been through the thick and thin of it. I mean, I like I said, I don't have to say it, but we've seen on social media, on Twitter, all these guys, they're extremely into these Pelicans. You know, versions, but especially this season, you saw them how they were overjoyed to actually be talking about wins big wins, a 10 game winning streak, you know, tying a franchise best mark and then making the playoffs, making noise. I mean, very special season, Preston. And I, I'm telling you, the fans loved it.
1: And, David, not only that,
2: uh, but it was such a roller coaster, so many things
1: transpired this season, whether it be injuries, whether it be DeMarcus Cousins, whether it be trade speculation, possibly the end of Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry and the, the health of Tom Benson being another storyline. But these guys just kept overcoming adversity in, in pretty much every like statistical way you, you could possibly envision it happen. What did it mean not only that the Pelicans were so successful this season, but the way in which they managed to do it against all this, uh, against all the odds?
3: Well, it's kind of like this season was the Pelicans um, punt block moment. You know, you go back to Steve Gleason blocking the punt at the Superdome after Katrina, and, and that's kind of when the city not discovered the Saints, but re-embraced the Saints. You know, they were our team again after the disastrous year where they were playing in San Antonio and Baton Rouge and all those things. This kind of felt like the Pelicans had not been our team for a couple of years. They We didn't... Know the team. People didn't really like the team outside of Anthony Davis. Um, you know, th- it was just being in that N- NBA and in, in New Orleans nether region. And uh, this season, because of, it was just so entertaining, I think it's the most. It was the most entertaining season in franchise history, if not the most successful. Um, but it, you know, definitely from start to finish, there were so many plot lines. But at the same time, the basketball. Was the best part of it, and it's been rare in the history of this franchise over 16 years now that you can say that the basketball was the most interesting part of the season, and it truly was. and And the Pelicans were as good a story as there was in the NBA this season, outside of you know your championship teams, the the Rockets and the the Warriors, and of course anything that has to do with LeBron James. I think you could put the Pelicans right up there is as probably the best story in the league this year. I think you mean future Pelican LeBron James, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't start that mess. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, let's go over to Kevin. Kevin, uh, on top of everything that's transpired going into this offseason, this is going to be another polarizing story. We had one last year with the return of Gentry and Dents and true Holiday and Boogie Cousins and building off that Rajon Rondo. There's probably going to be a lot more drama involving the Pelicans going forward, and we don't know what capacity that will be bringing incoming talent Talent. And all of this is just going to like cascade into the two thousand eight, 19 uh, season. The excitement! Talk about like how exciting it is to be a Pelicans fan, knowing that something unexpected is still coming around the corner, and they're going to continue building off of this.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, you have the situation with Boogie. You don't know know for sure what's going to happen there. You know, all throughout the year, you hear that you know you think it's safe that to assume that they're going to bring him back, and then now you're not necessarily as secure in that belief. Um, so, th- th- you know, you have drama there. Then you have the same thing with, uh, is Rondo going to come back? Is Ian Clark going to come back? How are they going to build around what they have? You know, we have, uh, going back to what these guys were talking about, the, the past of the Pelicans. You know, I remember watching Gravis Vasquez for 42 games a year and that being <laughs> my favorite second player to Anthony Davis for a long time. You know, and that, those are dark days, and we're past those um, so there's definitely going to be changes there's going to be things to dissect to break apart to look into yeah. to suggest you know um, so th- that's always a fun part of the off season. you know that used to be what I lived for because the product we were getting on the court wasn't translating to something that you could be that excited about other than you know wa- of course watching Anthony Davis play at any time is exciting because he's an incredible player and he's always doing every game you're seeing something that you can't believe you're seeing but it wasn't translating to wins and now it is and uh so you take that fun that you had before of you know blowing up the team or like trading ryan anderson for for a part or something like you know these ideas that you can come up with of how to build this team better around anthony davis now you have a clear cornerstone in anthony davis and drew holiday with drew holiday's emergence on the offensive end and then you just look at you know what can we do to even get better and you still you know you have Miritich there also next year and then all the, everybody else is sort of a question mark but you know you have to feel good going forward and and those those uh trade pieces and those signings that were more from a depressed state or more from a from a positive side now you know so that's that's always fun
1: it's funny that you said two cornerstones because we've been hearing a lot of that lately. Right. Two cornerstones, not three. We'll get into that in a minute. Before we get to that, I just want to talk a bit about the, the Coach of the Year story that unfolded today with Brad Stevens, of course, not getting a vote. Alvin Gentry not getting a vote. And uh, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Alvin Gentry said something quite funny today at the press conference where he basically said, you've seen what happens to Coaches of the Year, <laughs> so I don't want any part of that. I want to talk a bit about that. Obviously, he was snob. There was a lot of worthy candidates across the NBA, but why did Alvin Gentry deserve a vote?
2: Well, first of all, you've got to realize that for this particular award, there's only 30 votes. It's only 30 head coaches, right? So you've got to think it's a very tight-knit fraternity. You've got, you don't even know what other biases exist. But when you look at some of the coaches that did get, get uh, votes, and then when you see somebody like Brad Stevens, who honestly had Boston playing at a super high level all season, had to deal with all those injuries. And I'm not just talking about Gordon Hayward, where we all know the story. He went out five minutes in the first game to do it, at, at stay at that high level. They had Kyrie Irving go down. They've always been been able to plug in other pieces. Outstanding, and he doesn't get a vote, but reason for me, though, is Alvin Gentry. 48 wins, that's a 14-game improvement from last year. You have an offense that not once, but twice during the season had to get reworked, and they were a top 10 offense. You know, with DeMarcus Cousins, they were a high-put scoring machine, but guess what? They lose him, and they, they kind of reinvented themselves and turned into even a faster-paced team, thereby scoring a lot more points. And again, they were a top-ten offense. But during that season, they became a top-five defensive team. So there's all these positives, right? And we were never even able just to be privy just to one side of this in Alvin Gentry's prior years. But suddenly he makes this leap. The team makes the leap. So you would think that somebody would have noticed it. And, of course, you know, let's top it off with the way they finished off the season. 20-8, just to make the playoffs, swept through Portland. Um, I can go on and on, honestly, Preston, but the bottom line is Alvin Ginger did a remarkable, remarkable job. He and his staff, they overcame a lot of adversity, probably more so than almost any other team outside of, to me, maybe Boston. You know, so not to get one vote from the other other coaches, you know, you just kind of raise an eyebrow at that, and I just, I don't think it's right. Yeah, and coincidentally,
1: after, well, Terry Stotts ended up getting a vote and the Pelicans ended up sweeping them Of course, it's a, it's a regular season award So we're not going to take that into account And obviously it was a beneficial matchup for the Pelicans But something I wanted to ask Rob is We're we're in this position yet again going into every offseason Where it appears that Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry are kind of in this lame duck position Where they're forced to perform every single year And again, we're doing that again Obviously his option was picked up So he's here to stay for the ensuing year Why should Alvin Gentry Uh, be extended at this point or do you even believe that it should be
3: well I think Alvin should I think he's earned it Um, you know again we're talking about a coach who by the time we enter the season in 2018 2019 he's essentially going to have had five different teams in in that amount of time Um, you know he came in with the Eric Gordon you know Ryan Anderson Tyreek Evans group and that was clearly not working you know everybody knew that wasn't working it wasn't the way Gentry wanted to play you go and you trade those guys and you, and you get, bring in Buddy and you think, we're, well, okay, we're making a younger team now. We're going to build some youth around Anthony. And, of course, you get the DeMarcus deal. Now that's your third iteration of a team. And then once DeMarcus goes down, you bring in Nico and you've built that fourth. So so for him to be able to adapt, deal with the injuries that he's dealt with over the last couple of seasons and the personal problems, of course, we know with Drew dealing with his family issues and and, and those types of things, to continue to get this franchise on a positive track to win the games they did. And then, of course, like before the season, we're talking about Vegas had them predicted as ninth or tenth best in the West, and they finished a game behind the third best team in the in the, the conference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he deserves it. Now, do I want to go all in on Gentry and give him a five-, six-year deal? Probably not. I mean, I think everybody's future right now should be tied to Anthony Davis, and we know Davis can opt out in 2021. So, nobody, not Demps, not Gentry – should have any a moment longer than that mm-hmm. you know Agreed. that that's what the franchise's next big test is 2021 have you done enough to keep ad and so for now I think they've both done enough even though you know if I was Doug dibs you know I hope he never i mean if he ever gets to go to prison for murder he's going to be the luckiest guy because he's going to get more stays of execution than anybody because <laughs> he survived he's like the rasputin of general managers at this point yeah it's it's funny that you say that uh about Anthony
1: Davis. it always feels like there's this ticking time bomb that is a superstar in the NBA to where everybody is constantly falling over themselves just to keep these guys because they're, they're goal. They're that difficult to get in the NBA. And something that you mentioned, 9th or 10th in the West, it wasn't just uh, Vegas. It was Sports Illustrated, ESPN, The Ringer, the USA. And with that, I'm going to transition to Kevin and I'm going to start a new line of questioning. With Alvin Gentry, we know that he likes to push the pace. And obviously, he said in the presser today, they everybody said all the right things, Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry. We've got some quotes Um, del dem said in a perfect world we would like to have him back we would obviously like to have him back alvin gentry said if you're asking me of course we would love to have him back but with that being said you've said or you've called into question whether alvin gentry is the right coach for this two-headed monster these two skyscrapers of course he likes to push the pace with with steve nash with rajon rondo running the point that's the ideal scenario for alvin gentry and now we get to the question with Bogey in the lineup, is Alvin Gentry the right fit, and does does that call into question what Dell Demps decides with Bogey going forward now that they have given this vote of confidence to alvin Gentry?
4: Well, like I was saying earlier, you know it seemed forever like it was like a full you know like a foregone conclusion that he was coming back, and now, if you look a little bit between the lines, it seems like maybe they're second guessing it a little bit. you know I don't know again, like alvin Gentry. You know, I've always been tough on Alvin Gentry. Obviously, I'm not backing away from that. I've always been one of his biggest attractors, and he, you know, I'm glad to see that he proved me wrong with a team that fit what he wanted to do. And now that they've shown that level of success without Boogie, um, you know, they may be thinking, let's move in another direction. And, and I'm not saying that's the right idea. Um, I always thought that the best way to combat a team like Golden State or Houston is to be completely different than them. And having two big men like that, especially two big men with those kind of skills, um, you know, is something that I think could be different enough to make a difference. And, uh, you know, obviously two superstar quality players. Um, and I don't think that Alvin Gentry necessarily fits what would make that successful. Um, really successful. I mean, they would have a level of success, of course, because there's just, those are two great players. Um, now, The thing is, we have the coach under contract. We don't have the player under contract, and we don't have a healthy player also. So you could start to see them. I mean, you look at some of their comments, they haven't been, like, gung-ho and endorsing, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely coming back. And then, you know, I started to get a whiff of things that made me sort of suspicious, and I went and looked at DeMarcus Cousins' timeline on Twitter and Instagram, and there's not much there about the Pelicans anymore even Alexia Jensen who hasn't been with the team for the entire year tweeted out congratulations on a great season and we didn't get that from DeMarcus Cousins so it makes you wonder if something is going on that we're not privy to um and you could see uh you know they're they are talking about they need a 6-8 wing they need a, a big wing um and clearly that would work well with Anthony Davis and Miritich and Drew and Rondo who they said they they come out wholeheartedly saying they want rondo back and i didn't get that with boogie in these closing season comments i you know and that might just be me reading between the lines or you know being skeptical um but you know whereas before i was like oh yeah he's definitely coming back uh i i don't know anymore and i and i starting to think that maybe they're looking at another avenue or they're at least considering it and i mean look i'm a fan I will always say I'm a fan first, way more than I'm a journalist or blogger, whatever you want to say. I'm a super fan, and I'm a big fan of DeMarcus Cousins, and I would love to see him here. But, you know, I could see the basketball sense side of why you would make that move. And now, personally, it would disappoint me, but, you know, if you're getting a piece, a quality piece moving forward somehow, whether it's through a sign-and-trade or... If you just let him walk, and then you use other contracts and picks to trade to get another part or parts, because you you really do need more than one piece coming back. You need parts. We're there's as good as we were. There's still plenty of holes in the roster, which you see, you know, especially when you look at the bench. Um, and always the glaring hole at the three. So ever since Jamal Mashburn's one like spectacular year, I mean, Paige was great, but he wasn't a defensive player. He was a one-dimensional player. We've never had that sort of round well-rounded three that we had when we had that one year of Mashburn where he was incredible um so I mean you could see why they would do something like that and you're starting to see that they it feels like they're definitely considering that whereas before it seemed like everybody was just like yeah we're getting boogie back we're gonna roll this back and we're gonna see but I think the stretch of success and you know maybe you know, absence made the, the heart grow less fond or somehow, you know, you know, in a sense, you know, maybe they, they, there was a, a deeper bond built when he wasn't there. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room, but uh, I'm not certain. It, for me anymore, it's not certain that he's coming back.
3: And I think there's two things you look at, too, is, is one, um, in a typical Twin Towers kind of mode, these guys are not, don't fit that mold, you know, where you had Robinson and Duncan when Duncan Duncan was a guy who lived at the block or in the high post, shot those. And Robinson was a more versatile, became the more versatile defender, the guy who rebounded and blocked shots and did the little things as when they were paired. Um, it didn't work as well. You go back to Olajuwon and Sampson. It wasn't as didn't fit as well because of their skill sets. And that can be the difficulty with Anthony and DeMarcus because what we know about Anthony is that he's a guy who needs space. He does not do well with contact. He's not a strong. Post up guy, Um, we saw a lot during the Warrior series. Him getting forced out of his position um, on the block, Uh, and so I think they're trying to manage the fit, and they want to make sure that it works. Again, if Anthony's the focus, everything really has to be about what's best for him in the context of the team. Um, That doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean that anybody dislikes Demarcus or wants him to go. Um, but, again, with that that plethora of holes that they do have, not only at the small forward, but if you bring Rondo back, who's your backup point guard? You still don't have that. You don't have another power forward slash center type who can go in because there's still not a whole bunch of confidence in Chek Diallo to do it in big moments. So, you know, to fill those holes with the money that they've already got locked up, um, yeah, you do have to explore it. That's the only right thing for a general manager to do is see what are all the options for us to get better. If it comes back that Boogie's the best option, Great, fine. We all figure that out and we watch what Gentry can do going forward. If it it means that it's not, then we'll have to trust in that and watch it and see what happens. If not, they'll all be accountable for it eventually anyway.
2: Yeah, if you're a Pelicans
3: fan, you actually
2: really want to see the general manager contemplate other ideas. Because, guys, you've got to realize this. With DeMarcus Cousins, they were still a deeply flawed team. And we kind of saw that almost on a nightly basis. They didn't really have those winning streaks. They didn't have that sustained excellence you would expect with three really good. I mean, I don't know if you want to call them three stars, because let's face it, Drew Holiday wasn't a star until once Demarcus Cousins went down. And then, of course, you've got to hope that the general manager weighs when the team performed best. And that was when uh, Demarcus was down, and they went on that 28 to run, or 20 to 8 regular season run to finish the season, get in the playoffs, make a lot of noise, and all of a sudden you saw Drew Holiday hit another gear. You saw the team having fun. You saw Anthony Davis um, honestly acting like a leader, where even after the uh, Portland series, he said he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't satisfied they got a game off the Golden State Wars. He was taking more charge. You had Rondo who was placed in a better position to uh, basically facilitate the offense. You can't have Rondo sitting somewhere off in a corner when DeMarcus Cousins is using his 30 plus percentage usage and dictating most of the offense. You can't have Rondo and he shared the floor. And I think, honestly, that was kind of telling. As for Kevin, you say you were reading between the lines. You were spot on, buddy, because Del Demps today, out of his own words, said that Rajon Rondo, we definitely want him back. But when he was asked about Boogie, he said, when it comes to both having Rondo and Boogie come back, it's going to take a perfect situation, a perfect world, he called it. So, it's, as David just mentioned, they are looking at it. Um, and it's not a mistake, guys. This is a flawed team with a lot of holes, as both of these guys have just been saying, both Kevin and David. So I think people should be on board with whatever happens because DeMarcus is not the legitimate, um, I I don't know how to say it, I guess just the obvious, obvious path the Pelicans should take.
3: And I'm sorry to to do this, but um, I think also you're looking at what are the teams in the West that you're trying to get by and who's going to be good over the next few years. So, yeah, with DeMarcus, they match up well against Houston. But you're not. You don't match up well against Golden State. They don't match up well against Utah in that in that situation. I think Utah is another ascending team if they can keep their core together. Um, and so the, I think that's really the core because Portland. I don't. I don't see getting much better unless they make some major changes. They're in financial uh, handcuffs as well. San Antonio teams like that. The Lakers. All those. None of those are already to be threats again. So that top four group. The the only one where definitively DeMarcus gives you. Um, put you on level playing field is with Houston. I think with the others, you still have to have that three. And, and then again, if you made it to the finals to play a Boston or to play a, a Cleveland, if you don't have somebody who can defend on the wing, mm-hmm. if, if the Pelicans have made it to the finals this year, who defends LeBron James? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can put Etuan on the, you can put Drew on, on LeBron James, you can put Etuan out there, you can put Anthony on LeBron James. Le- Le- we, saw. It.
2: <laughs> we saw what Kevin Durant did to Drew, one of the best two-way defenders all season. You know, He was helpless. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in real quick because
1: we're we're burying it feels like we're burying DeMarcus Cousins at this point and I think we need to defend him Uh, a large part of the first portion of the season where John Rondo was out and the Pelicans still managed to get to the fourth seed 27-20 a lot of those victories uh eight and three run in January came against uh, a cupcake schedule and before the season we talked with Zach and Trevor about why the Pelicans were going to be successful in January with that being said Bookie well, he didn't have the benefit of Nikola Meritich. He didn't have the benefit of Mecca Okafor, who played really well for a six-week run. He had Tony Allen, Dante Cunningham, Jameer Nelson. He didn't have Solomon Hill, who didn't perform well for a lot of that portion. But they didn't even have the option. Rajon Rondo started playing his best ball a little bit later in the year. Maybe it took some uh, some time for him to develop a chemistry with these guys. DeAndre Liggins was getting a large portion of the minutes at this point. I'm just saying that DeMarcus Cousins was playing good basketball in January, and we did see them take down quite possibly the best team in the league. It's it's debatable, and we're about to find out in the ensuing series, whether it is the Houston Rockets or the Golden State Warriors. Kevin, I'm going to throw this to you. Obviously, we're going to talk for the next month about sign-and-trade possibilities because it's sexy. It's fun. It's fun to talk about Otto Porter and Chris Middleton. And it's not getting fun to talk big... about Otto
4: Porter. <laughs> 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 Kelly
1: Oubre, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Pick pick your poison. But talk here and now about why a healthy Boogie can take these Pelicans not not possibly to Houston Gold State because Dell Dempsey even confessed and Alba Jetri that we still need more pieces. But why Boogie can be a boon for this Pelicans
3: team?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, don't don't get my words twisted. I love Boogie. I, I love the player that he is. Um, he, I'm a big fan of his, and I have been because look. The, uh, you know, before we had a basketball team, the first team that I really fell in love with was that Jason Williams rookie year, Chris Weber, Sacramento Kings team. So I was a Sacramento Kings team for years and I still followed them even through the terrible years watching them on League Pass. I was watching Tyreek Evans rookie year. Like, yes, they finally got a great player, you know, and then whatever. Uh, so, so uh, you know, y'all can laugh at that, but I, I love Tyreek. He's my boy. Anyway, so I, we're, I'm not shitting on the Marcus Cousins. I love him, and no, I none think, of us are. and yeah, and I and I want to make that clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that what we're saying is we're seeing a team that was obviously very pro we're definitely bringing this guy back and everybody you talk to anybody in the all the people in media row that we would talk to anybody we talked to that had any connection to the team it seemed like yeah there's no question he's coming back whereas now it seems like there's a question is he coming back and I, I think you know one thing is I've always said I like Anthony Davis playing close to the basket and it, especially on offense uh, so with the way they're playing right now, Miritich out on the wing and A.D. at the basket, that's beneficial, you know, so, but you know, even DeMarcus Cousins would play away from the basket and let A.D. roam on offensively, because Cousins like to shoot the three, Mm -hmm. but like you said, we go back to December, and you're looking at incredible numbers from Darius Miller and Etwan Moore from beyond the arc. And Anthony Davis had uh, efficiency Right, and as you pointed out before, many times that Anthony Davis had the most efficient Uh, numbers of his career playing with uh, the Marcus Cousins because he draws so much attention. And, you know, once Cousins went down, Darius Miller became a shell of himself. Uh, You know, we've not gotten anything out of him since then, really. And Ethwan Moore has his moments here and there, but it's nowhere near like he was playing in December and January. So, I mean, it's clear to see also, you know, we lack playmaking, Um, you know, when Rondo's off the floor, I think Drew's fine on the ball um some people don't don't think he's that great on the ball I I personally like him there but when he when Rondo is off and it's just Drew there's not a secondary playmaker that can create for anybody else I mean we saw Etwan's terrible playmaking in the last game against Golden State I mean (laughs) and you know I love Etuan more but you got to be honest you know like his his playmaking was awful and and when he throws lobs to AD, I feel like oh AD's going to get killed every time. <laughs> like I think he's just going to come down and break his neck, and it's scary. So, Demarcus Cousins though is a is a good playmaker, and so and you we've seen all those great lobs from big to big. That it's beautiful. It's interesting to see. It
2: makes highlights. You know, it's a flashy style of play, and uh, it's not only but, flashy, Kevin. It's more efficient. I mean you gotta look at the way they finish the team. I think that's what the team is weighing. Well, yeah, you know? of
4: course. And but we're talking about how Boogie can make yeah. this team impactful yeah. and his presence definitely makes this team different. And it, and it can be something that can work if you can manage them in the right way and get them to play together the right way. Because you have a guy who's a bully on the block. You have that attitude guy that you need also. And you have a guy who can hit the three, he can pass. Now you can say he's lazy on defense, lazy getting back. I'm not going to argue that. I mean, I watch the guy play. I still, every player has flaws. Nobody's a perfect player, you know. You, you see people like – like I know M.C. Tooman is a friend of the pod, but he's always picking apart A.D.'s game, you know, criticizing him. Like, this guy – We is, love you, Tooman. We do. I do. <laughs> I, but, like, look, I mean, you're picking apart Anthony Davis, who is clearly a top five player in the league you know, mm-hmm. and you're finding flaws in them. So, of course, well, Anthony Davis think
3: thinks he can do better. Well, no. yeah,
4: I mean, everybody, everybody could, could every do one. better, right? I mean, yeah. and, you yeah. Yeah. And, and you can develop skills and you can play effort, you know, work on your effort and your conditioning. Um, That's a big question, isn't it, though? It is, and especially coming back from an Achilles injury and being that size. So, uh, again, like Mm I love Boogie. I would be extremely happy if he came back to this team and we rolled it back like that. That being said, I'm also a used Dell Demps fan. I always have defended him, and I think he makes very good moves. And if he decides, like, I can sign and trade Boogie to get Chris Middleton, if I could sign and trade Boogie to get T- Thomas Sadaransky, Kelly Oubre. I love that you led with Sadaransky. And, and, and well, I, I think he's a really good player. I really like him because he can play three positions. He's another playmaker. He's tall. He can defend. He can shoot. You know, he's kind of that like utilitarian player that you need on this roster. Um, and he totally nullified Tim Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But but then again uh, – Second-round pick. <laughs>
2: but, but then again, who nullified him in the playoffs? Uh, Look, Kevin, you're absolutely right because Boogie brings that third superstar, and we've all talk, talked about it amongst ourselves. What if AD gets hurt for an extended period of time or Drew Holiday? You need to be able to rely on somebody else to step up in the, those big shoes, and Boogie is perfect for it. If you guys remember at the start of the season, AD played, what, four or five uh, minutes in that Portland game out in Portland. Boogie went, like, for a 40-20 and game, led them to an impressive victory. So, there's a lot of things that Boogie does well. I don't think anybody's going to say otherwise, but it's just a simple fact I think everybody's looking at is the consistency. It's it's just not there. It hasn't been there. He's had his moments where he's looked great, the teams look great, but when it's not there, we lost to teams like Atlanta. Sacramento. Sacramento Kings twice at home. And that was Dallas. The Sacramento
3: loss was really in large part due to him. I mean, he did not guard, like, did not guard Zach Zach, Randall Randall tell us what you
2: told us about how well the Pelicans played afterwards where they only had one bad loss or something right yeah uh,
3: without DeMarcus that after that stretch when he was you know they lost only one game to a sub-500 team the rest of the way Mm -hmm. and that was the game to the Kings that was two days after two games after he went down
1: but I, I will go against you because Dell Dem said in the presser today that the biggest win of the season was against the Houston Rockets with him, and we kept searching oh, for yeah, a signature no, win.
3: Yeah, I, that, that absolutely, I think that was the win that put the team on the national spotlight because it was a nationally televised game. It was played; it went to overtime. It was dramatic. All those it showed
2: things. Showed what they were capable but, of, but and 14 struggled at that all year can we rely on Demarcus coming off as we've all talked about that Achilles injury? I'll be happy if he returns to eighty to ninety percent form for
3: the next two years. But can he accept that? Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Is if he's he's no. I don't I doubt he's going to be a hundred percent. I just I can yeah. Everybody who says he's going to come back as good as ever, if not better, no.
1: Let me let me cut you off there because I want to lead you somewhere. Del Demps said specifically. He said the injury does change things, but I'm betting on Demarcus. And what I want to ask you. Is he, is he betting on DeMarcus to come back and help the Pelicans, or is he posturing to other NBA franchises? Well, yeah,
3: he absolutely ha- cannot devalue DeMarcus at this point. So he has to say, you know, that—and I'm not saying he's lying. I don't know. None of us have seen, you know, other than the, the, the brief videos released of DeMarcus just—right now he's just barely walking. I think he just got out of his boot and he's trying to walk. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, you, you have to say that Demarcus's work ethic is great, that he's on doing all the things to be on path for next season— but it absolutely has to change things. You have to presume that he's not going to play exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. So then, if you do resign him, you're you are adjusting the way the offense is. You're adjusting the way the defense is to accommodate what his limitations will be. And those two questions are: A, can Alvin do that? Can he design a structure to do that with coaches Ehrman and um, mm-hmm. sorry, Finch. and Finch? And then the second part of that being does DeMarcus accept being the third guy? Because the way this team has to win now, it has to be Anthony first, Drew second, and then if DeMarcus returns, DeMarcus has to be the third guy. And as a guy looking for max money, and the position that he wants, the stature he wants in the league, willing to accept being the third guy. I think he did in January against the Rockets. He only
1: had 10 shots, 15 points. He had a triple-double and he did all the little things that they needed. And Anthony Davis took the bulk of the shots. I can't remember specifically you what do it for 82 did. Games? But he was that's that's also the point. But also what I want to go to Kevin is these these guys were drained, uh, not just without boogie, but just limited in terms of depth. We saw just a, a seven-man team uh, pretty much go for the last two weeks of the season into the playoffs with the Blazers. Uh, obviously, we've talked at length about the Blazers being the Fool's Gold. How how does everything change from like the optimism of where the Pelicans finish if they don't draw that six seed against the Blazers if they end up as the seventh seed? Alvin Gentry called it a relief getting to the playoffs because these guys had had to play so hard over those final five games of the season. In terms of wh- where the Pelicans are right now, with or without Boogie, just with Miritich, with Ian Clark, with Solomon Hill, with Darius Miller coming off the bench, he said that the team needed to temper their expectations. Or maybe that's a direct quote from, uh, from Ali, but that's what he was insinuating. It's just mm-hmm. that these guys got greedy. After the first round win, they thought, why not? The second and Alvin Gentry almost smiled while he said that, knowing that they didn't have a shot. How... How optimistic should Pelicans fans truly be heading into the 18-19 season? I think they should be very
4: optimistic. I mean, we've seen progression from Anthony Davis. And, of course, you know, like we said, you know, if he could develop some more post moves, some better playmaking moves, and a couple of dribble drives, which is kind of interesting since he was a guard. Uh, you know, you would think yeah. he would be a little bit And the shot athletic. selection, too. Just mm-hmm. it, not
3: settling for those 21-foot jump shots.
4: Right. Um, so, you know— And look, Anthony Davis is a guy guy who's developed every year. Mm -hmm. He's developed something new every year. So, you know, I'm sure they know exactly what he needs to work on. And I think that Golden State series, like, sort of exposed some of those problems. And I think that's something that they'll definitely be working on this offseason. And we should expect that he's going to come back better than ever. Um, We saw a Drew Holiday that we had never seen before Um, in his offensive game. It was incredible. And Slack I never knew. Was yeah, incredible. That is his whole personality, his mm-hmm. whole vibe changed. You and you have, like, as they've said, we have two cornerstones, which is also one of the telling quotes about going forward. They both said it. But uh, those two guys are clear two cornerstones going forward. And I always think, you know, you look around the league and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you need three superstars. But really, there's only one situation they're here for Boogie. Um, <laughs> the uh, crows are out here for boogie it, <laughs> every, This happens every night There's like this big crow party that happens outside Right of, outside Kevin's
1: window for those of you who can't see this All of a sudden 30 crows have appeared Out of nowhere it Looks to like the sequence him. from Dumbo <laughs> <laughs> um, It does, please continue Kevin yeah.
4: No, but like if you look around the league there, It's very rare that The three superstar things actually Work out that way I feel like you, you need two And you need a bunch of quality guys around them In depth and and we have those two, because I think Drew Holiday's ready to take the next step to be an all-star player next year. I mean, if he continues playing offense the way he's playing, he's always played defense this way, even though he's seemingly taken it up even a notch further, which is incredible. Um, you have you already have those two all-stars. Now that's why, you know, again, we'll go back to Boogie, but it, I could understand if Dell Demps could use him to acquire, you know, a top-level player, not necessarily an all-star or a superstar player, but, a, a you know, a top 15 player at his position to, you know, to play the three. You have Miritich, who's another guy like that, above average, you know, a, a quality player. And then you add more depth because that's what you need. I mean, the only team that you look at where they have multiple all-stars that successful it's Golden State, and that is the exception to the rule. Those, it is the system; They're, those guys were raised in that system of sharing the ball, and and you know letting each other cook. And they they have the right personality to make that work. You look at, you know, you look at what the Thunder tried to do, you know. But you have a very ball dominant guy like a Russell Westbrook, who I love. I'm not not hating on him, but he is him, and even you could say LeBron James are guys that alienate. Their teammates they marginalize them because of the way that they play like I have this theory that if you took LeBron James off of that Cleveland roster right now those players would look much better individually they wouldn't get nearly as far because uh LeBron James is an amazing player and he carries them but you look at what we used to see from Kevin Love and you look at what you see from him now and I watched a lot of Rodney Hood play in Utah and he's a much better player than he is there (laughs) And, and, you know, the same Larry Nance Jr. was looking incredible for the Lakers. Looked Jay like Crowder's you know, been better. Jay Crowder's, Crowder's been Crowder. better since he left. Chris Bosh came out and said how difficult it was to yeah. play with a player like LeBron James. So sometimes, you know, you definitely need two top-flight players on a team. Uh, but I think sometimes it's better to have, you know, above average or at least average level players than to have that third star because it's just you know, it marginalizes one of those guys, and then that's when you get into chemistry problems, and that's when you get into a, a lot of other problems. Um, so I think that's, uh, that, you know.
3: I think Golden State and, and Houston are actually great examples of that because with Golden State, people think they have five stars. They don't really have five superstars. They have two superstars in Durant and Curry. Clay Thompson would not be the number one player on any other team, not a good team. You know, he not he's a great piece team, to have. Exactly. Add. He's a great, you know, obviously one of the but five or six. An all-star. He's an all star. Yeah. true. But James Worthy was an all star and a Hall of yeah. Famer. But James Worthy could not have been the number one player for a championship Walker the team. Is
4: an all team. You know what I'm
3: saying? Yeah. So, yeah. And Draymond Green, as great as he is, he fits. He's perfect for the mold of that team. You take Draymond Green and you send him to Toronto or you send him to Charlotte or you send him to Miami, he's not Draymond Green. Know, still he's still a yeah. You can't take away his talent, but he cannot be the guy who leads your They're team. Still top thirty, players. right? So what you what what the Pelicans I think are trying to do, and the same thing with the Rockets, you have James Harden, Chris Paul, and then guys who do their job, know their roles, who are versatile and do those things. That's what the Pelicans have to get is yeah. versatile. Again, at the Celtics, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward are their cornerstones, and then they get the Jalen Browns, Jason Tatum's, Al Horford's guys who are versatile, top top level players as far as talent but understand that they're not the guy. And so the Pelicans they don't have, have a – They don't mind sacrificing. Right. That is the biggest key. It's not really a sacrifice for them because they're going to get theirs within the flow of the offense. It's going to be there because the stars know their roles too. So the game doesn't stop for their stars, which is goes back to your LeBron issue is that the game stops for LeBron because yeah. when he has the ball, he is a ball stopper. Let
1: me, let me go to Ali real quick and let me kind of divert the, mm-hmm. the questioning. Two cornerstones and uh, – I derive two things from this. Obviously, they have a lot of faith in Drew and Anthony. Those guys aren't going anywhere. They're untradeable at this point. But another thing I derive from it is Alan Gentry and Dale Demps both said that uh, it's hard to acquire players. And they both mentioned that Nikola Meretic was the savior this season, and he brought them over the hump, and he was largely responsible for that winning streak that they won on those 10 games. Uh, and he even referenced his performance against the Nets when they were drowning. They were 1-5 against uh, at the time. They won in overtime against the Nets before going on that 10-game winning streak. But with that being said, uh, some some quotes just about um, recruiting an NBA free agency. He says, that's usually the way the NBA works. You know, you win. We've got a great town to recruit to. Second to none. Best food on the planet. That was Alvin Gentry. And there's a lot more quotes. But my question to you, Ali, is with as good as Nikola Meretic was this year, and feel free to talk about that, nobody on the Pelicans is is safe going forward. We, we keep referencing DeMarcus Cousins as the guy who could potentially be sent out of town to bring back talent. But the two cornerstones are that. They're the two cornerstones. Everybody else has a for sale sign on them right now to bring back that highly coveted 6'7, wing player that these guys kept referencing that the Pelicans desperately needed. Who would you think of the Pelicans possibly chopping this offseason to get back that required talent that might take more than a big man with a torn Achilles?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. In a day and age that operates under a salary cap, you're forced to basically make everybody for sale. If they're not a cornerstone like you adamantly hammered, correctly so, and and like the Pelicans brass did today, you've got to make everybody expendable. And so that means not only Boogie, of course, who's not even under contract anymore once it's season, once we hit July 1st, but you've got to look at guys like Etuan Moore. You've got to look at Solomon Hill. You've got to look at guys who either had decent years or didn't. You've got to look at every single possible scenario at this point. Even, um, you know, you've got to look at even the developing talent, Sheik Diala, Frank Jackson. Although you've got to kind of wonder who's going to want them. But no, the two key ones you're looking at, Preston, in what you're asking is obviously for me, number one is each one more. And I've been talking about this all season. I feel like he's, his value is never going to be any higher. He's a role player at heart. I've talked to certain people with the Pelicans, and he truly stepped his game above and beyond of what he's normally comfortable with. He put himself out there being a starter when he's been a reserve his whole life. He had to play against starters when he knows he's undersized, not as talented, not as athletic, so he's putting himself out there, and uh through that grit and grind, um, I forget how many games he exactly played. He played all of them. Did he play in all eighty
1: two? All eighty two. Let me stop you before you
2: continue, because there are players across the league like Kevin Love, who
1: refuse to do what the team is asking, and one Moore never, for a second, as far as we know, right. has ever questioned what the team is asking. And that has value.
2: Doing. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to weigh that, but again, to uh, trade for value, you're going to have to give away some value. So to me, it just. Etuan Moore is on a great contract. He's got two more years after this season. He's proved that he's not just, you know, he had that great shooting season in Chicago, but he proved that he's, he can do that more on a regular basis. And now he's at, a, like, a floater game. He's got some diversity. He can guard bigger guys, won't ask to in a pinch. Obviously, he guarded or played small forward for most of his minutes this season for the Pelicans. Um, you would like to include Solomon Hill in that deal, but, again, he's coming off that major hamstring injury. He's going um, to be But, you know, he, the Pelicans, I honestly don't think, like, they can – I don't want to say trust, that's the wrong word to use, but I don't know if they think they can just rely on him to be their small forward. In the minutes we saw him this season, what was he playing? He's playing a lot of backup minutes at the big, mostly at the four. I've talked to people, you know, again, around the team. He's he's not a shooter. To be a three in this league, you've got to have two skills. You've got to be able to shoot and you've got to be able to play make a little bit. And honestly, Solomon doesn't do either one of those. So they truly, truly, truly need a small four. So that's why I'm just looking at, look at the guys that kind of already played that position. So they're kind of almost redundant if you bring somebody in. And like I said, each one more has got value. So he might be, honestly, their best you know, trade, trade piece. And David, before I let you get into this, uh, they kind of talked about briefly
1: about pairing Nikola Meretic with Boogie and Anthony Davis. And they kind of admittedly said that it would be clunky, it would be difficult to put the three of them on the floor <laughs> together. So not disregarding Boogie from this conversation, if the Pelicans want to acquire a wing, packaging Nikola Meretic... Would be much easier than Demarcus Cousins in my mind just because of how effectively he played, how healthy he was, how he's Patrick. coming on at the right time, mm-hmm. how he was a great rebounder, great defensively, managed to pick and roll. I think he managed like two and a half blocks per game in the playoffs, at least against Portland Trailblazers. Would you move Nikola Ameritich for the right package?
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> this <laughs> is <this, laughs> <this, laughs> business, you know yeah, I mean? Right like, <laughs> if you get the right guy, yeah, everybody's expendable. Like I said, outside of Drew and Anthony, every it's does the price match what you're asking for? And if you find somebody who's willing to meet your price and, and you know, give you, again, you, you try to package Nico for uh, multiple players if you're going to give him away because, again, you're trying to acquire as much talent as possible. You may put Nico and Etuan together to get a more attractive deal. But, because yeah, that's about twenty million dollars a salary, twenty-one million dollars a salary. Put those two together. Exactly right. So, um, yeah, I mean, you'd hate this, you know. Again, you like watching this group play, but um, we know that they're not as close as people think that they are. Like the coaching staff said, like, it is fool's gold to rely everything on the Portland series. Mm-hmm. So, if you know you're not as close as you think you are, if the move you're making makes you feel more comfortable with the lineup you have, makes you feel like you're closing that gap, and it, it comes at not too steep a price, then you have to – now, who's the name? That's the thing. It's like, Tobias who, who are we talking – No, no, <laughs> not for Tobias Harris. Even though I, I think Tobias Harris is a good player, but, I mean, I wouldn't trade Nico for him because, again, that's kind of almost a redundancy in skills mm-hmm. there too. So you want somebody, again, who's going to be – a play, like I said, playmaking yeah. skills – Multiple defensive, you know, would be able to defend two, three, and four, maybe at least the two and the three to be able to swatch, uh, switch between those two um, and, and have a longer defensive group out on the floor. But yeah, I mean, Nico is slightly less, you know, uh, more untouchable than the rest of the guys, but no, nobody. Only got I just want to say that there's, there's
2: Preston, did, tell me if I'm wrong, but there seemed to be a clear hierarchy we heard tonight. Everybody knew yeah. of AD and Drew Holiday, right? But, but then they place a Big importance on getting Rajon Rondo back, but then Nikola Miritich. He's yep. right there. Dell Demps called him, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was kind of looking more further down line. Each one more Solomon Hill. Right. Sorry,
1: I, I, I interrupted Ali, but they both refer to him as the savior, yep. and, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he did. That
2: trade uh, seemingly not only saved the season, but it saved their job. That's just a savior, but they went out of their way to say he's such a versatile player that people mm-hmm. don't realize it.
1: Yeah, that obviously he, he's, he, he's able to do everything. Defender, he's, yes. rebounder. Yep. So, yeah, let's move over to Kevin because we we've got right. some questions now. And uh, Ali said before all of this that uh, Kevin's the best at this uh, as far as we're concerned at just (laughs) surveying the landscape, finding free agent targets, not only like how good they are and how they fit into the system, but how to manage the caps and all that sort of stuff. And the first one is from our friend Waka Waka Wakanda, and he's basically just saying – he's got some great questions on the Smoothie King Center uh, as well, and we'll get to those a bit later. But his first question it's just about realistic targets in free agency. And I know you're gonna mention Kylo Quinn, but before we get to him, who else is out of the market?
2: <laughs> oh, we yeah. all actually love Kylo Quinn. <laughs> so I love, yeah. I love Kylo <laughs> For the 50th time. You know time. And you knows what I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. say too. So
4: now look, I already threw a little bit one out of there if yeah. you do trade boogie Washington. My no, favorite no, one working. my favorite trade for that that I've looked at so far, and I haven't dug deep into this at all because this is something that I'm sort of just starting to see through the uh, through the lines of but um you know would be to Milwaukee for for Chris Middleton who I've always loved I looked back on my first piece I wrote for the Bird rights I and I proposed a trade for Chris Middleton back then before he was and anything. that that was like mm-hmm. what that was the first year of the Pelicans um so that was a while ago so I've had a love affair with him for a while um now uh you know you have to pair him with some salary I would love to get Thon Maker back in that somehow because then you have a young guy to develop he's
1: 45 technically right you know and you know you know del
4: demps likes veterans so. That's so, uh, <laughs> <and 7'3 laughs> you probably, probably have to take a john henson or somebody like yeah, that, that way, you know, to make a yeah. then the next move and it makes sense because you know you could maybe sell boogie on the fact though because you know boogie has to agree to all of this so Precisely. you you or have to send him to a place where it looks like he can win because that team is a playoff team. They have a superstar similar to Anthony Davis and Giannis, and then you have a friend of his, also a college uh, teammate, coach. Eric Bledsoe, um, from – I think they're right – They the played same, the same year. Yeah, they, I mean, but I think they're from the same town even. Or uh, like Bledsoe's from like, Birmingham and Cousins um, from Mobile. Yeah, like cousins yeah. from Mobile yeah. So they're both from Alabama. You know, you got all that going on. Um so, and then they have another guy like Jabari Parker, who's an, who could be, a, you know, a good player. And you in know, Brogdon. in Brogdon, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have a core there that you could win. Uh, especially, you think the East is going to be a lot easier next year, especially if LeBron does go to the West. Um, then the second move would be Washington, the one that makes the most sense because again, John Wall. Um, and then you could see. I mean, you've heard the Otto Porter thing. I, I wouldn't want Otto Porter. Um, I would go Saturansky, Ubre, uh, Gortat, and Jason Smith, and make that work. And uh, Gortat's expiring, and as you've said. Orlando would love to have him back to retire there. He wants to go there, and they're willing to sell off everybody they can. You send Gortat over Mm -hmm. there, get some other pieces. And if we include
1: first round pick, we probably get Jonathan Simmons. Jonathan
4: Simmons, Simmons, whoever, you know, whatever. You can poach them for their. They have a few decent players there that you can, you know, you can add to the core or somebody like that. Then you look at free agency, uh, wing wise, you know, I also love Kyle Anderson. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, You have. Uh, What's his name right now? Uh, Glenn Robinson III is another Mm -hmm. wing, athletic wing, Mm -hmm. um, who's interesting. He was hurt most of this year, so you didn't get to see a lot of him. But, you know, I don't know how much the Pacers view him as a piece for the future. You have uh, Mario Hazonia, another, you know, large wing that's shown that, you know, people thought he was going to be really good coming in the draft, and he hasn't really shown it yet. But he's had a few moments here and there, and you know he has the the ball handling skills, play on the perimeter defense is the big question mark on him. Um you know TJ Warren might be available in a trade uh because of Josh Jackson and whoever they draft this year and then they still have those, you know, TJ could swing between three and four and they already have, you know, uh Chris and Bender over there and you know, you don't know what they want to do over there. Um who else there I mean I'll look deeper into this as we go along, but there's names out there that you can you can realistically and there'll See, be a yeah. different picture after yeah. the draft, too. Yeah. Right, exactly. But there's
2: a couple other I want to mention, because I know Dave and I have talked about okay. this amongst ourselves Real recently. Quick. Real quick, Rashawn Holmes,
4: my man. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, you bring, you, you need He's another not even utilized need at all. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he didn't play at all, and he's a very athletic, great rebounder, great defender, and he's even shown he can shoot a little bit. So that would be a great the backup. up.
2: Noel right now, who <laughs> almost was a Pelican at one point in time. No, no, we don't need to go down that. <laughs> no, sorry, but, no, but David and I were talking just amongst ourselves about a couple other potential um, landing spots for DeMarcus and I think we need to talk about it and I'm going to ask you David uh, we had mentioned both Portland and the Lakers mm-hmm. so discuss what kind of scenarios we were looking at with both of those teams
3: well with the Lakers a lot of it depends obviously on, on what their free agent status is. Do they get a LeBron or they do, do they get a Paul George? But they have a lot of players. Let's say they do, because that's
2: the way we looked at it.
3: Right, they have players at positions that the Pelicans get. I mean, if, if LeBron or George signs, then obviously Brandon Ingram becomes expendable, um, a long guy who can shoot from the three, can handle the ball in traffic, um, and could finish at the room. Then you also have to look at, you know, some of their – you have Hart um, as a guard to come off and can can play, um, you know, multiple positions, can play the one and the two. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a talent there and, um, with the Lakers that I think that – and they're interested. Again, so the cap issue is much less of an issue with the Lakers in taking on DeMarcus's salary, if, even if it's at a – you know, especially if it's not as much because of the injury. And um, Portland – before – I'll let you do the trades, but for Portland, as far as a free agent, I have always been in love with Ed Davis oh, as a backup big. Um, a guy who's active, converts at a high rate around the rim, can block shots – great on a pick-and-roll, and, roll and um, can give you those 15 minutes off the bench of just toughness. Ed Davis is a tough guy. He blocks shots. He does all the little things, and the Pelicans need more guys to do the little things. Even Alvin kind of admitted they need another rebound, and I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what he was looking at. A, guy like a quick him. jumper, a guy yeah. who's longer than he seems and just has done it in the league for years and will not. I mean, even a guy like Brendan Wright who is a long guy who knows his role, can give you minutes, a great shot blocker per minute, Mm -hmm. you know, not going to give you a ton of minutes, but compared to what um, Chet Diallo does, at least you know going night to night, hey, he can catch the ball. You know, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about in transition, you know, those types of things. So, yeah, you can – there will be some – you know, the Pelicans, I think, for their backup bigs will wait deeper into the summer as guys get plucked away. Um, But, you know, the trade, obviously, everything is focused on getting that wing player. Let me go to
1: Ali, uh, because based on all this free agency talk, obviously we know the Pelicans are going to have limited flexibility if they do sign and trade DeMarcus Cousins. And Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry were both very tentative, specifically Dell Demps, to talk about the luxury tax. They said those were all behind-the-door conversations that we're not going to be privy to pretty much ever until it happens. And we've got a question from Landon Blocker. He says, based on Dell's quotes from today, how likely is it the Pelicans exceed the luxury tax next season to bring in top-end talent besides Boogie? And let me ask you this, Ali. What would it take, based on Dell Demp's uh, comments today, for Gale to do
2: that? It would take a star, honestly. Whether they determine it is DeMarcus or whether they want to go in a different route. You're not going to trade, do a sign trade with DeMarcus for some of these packages we've been talking about and go into the luxury tax. I don't think it's worth it. I think it's a franchise has to stay out of the tax for as long as they can because once they're in it, they feel like they've got that championship core, yeah. yeah. and then of course you're going to then you know the dedicate repeated- a couple of years to it, and so you're going to be facing repeater tax issues. I don't think the Pelicans are there yet, especially with this current roster of saying, okay, this is the way we want to go for sure, because we've talked about it, you know, during this entire pod, we talked about it a lot through the season. We saw a lot of Jekyll and Hyde out of this Pelicans team. Only towards the end did we kind of see some consistency. So. In order to, for them to go ahead and say we're going to go into luxury tax, they've got to be feeling rather confident that what they saw in that last 30 games, that Portland series, is honestly going to be, let's say, 75, 80% likely. So, and again, what player that would be, who knows? But I honestly think it's it going to take savvy. a big name. It's going to take a big name for them to go into the tax, honestly. A,
3: like, well, I mean, they're at $96 million yeah. in salary right now. Right. They're and projecting they want Rondo the cap, back, projecting back. the cap at 101 mm-hmm. for yeah. this season. Yeah. So, and then you're talking about to get to the luxury at 123. Yep. So that's that's your max. That's yeah, your max guy. Your I mean, right you know, there. so whoever it is, you know, that, like like so that's why you're trying to find a package of of very talented players if you're going to do that. Did you right there?
4: Yeah, I would think that if you know they do decide to do a sign and trade with Cousins, that's not going to be the only move they make. I think oh, you look, gotta you know, look at other people. You look at them unloading, you know, putting together a contract yes. with you I know Solid Hill think we're or Etoine sure, Moore, what do you think I'm And a future yeah. first and then, you know, you know, poaching a team like, you know, try to get somebody from like a team like Orlando or like, you know, that has a few guys that they're trying to that she they have that, that, that they the have to position. Yeah, and that they have to start and aren't starters, but would be quality depth for a team like the Pelicans. And you know like that Miritich trade, they called him the savior, that was an incredible trade because not only did you dump a bad contract <laughs> that would normally cost you a first round pick but you got yeah. you got a first round pick quality player uh, back so that was really like a two first round pick move, and you you know and you did it in one so that and got a second round pick back with it nice. so you know our own original pick right <laughs> <laughs> but so you know you could see uh Dell being active that way again too, and even you know. Like bringing in maybe like a Justin Holiday for a Jensa pick and send them that second round pick back to him, you know that'd be funny to keep sending them that second round pick, but
0: uh, you know
4: that's something that could be you know you could understand that move because you know Justin Holiday it could work in that role especially he's not counted on being a starter or a main contributor but he could be a solid wing Swing defender mm-hmm. and passer and decent scorer um, and then you know obviously uniting the Holiday brothers would be fun too. Um, so yeah, there's all kind of it's going to be fun, and I I trust Dell. I think
2: yeah, he but does. Rounding right the, the edges moves. moves though. They're not going to go into luxury tax, right? Yeah, guys? right. There's no. just no way. Yeah. Let me
1: go to Grub on this. Every team is zero and zero right now, heading into the 18 19 season. <laughs> not and I, not I yeah. not still 14th oh, playing. Yeah. I know, I know, but we're not going to watch any of that, tonight, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're too bitter at this point. But heading <laughs> heading into next season, when all the trades do start taking place. None of these teams see themselves as the Orlando Magic do right now. Everybody's going to have a sexy pick coming in town. They're going to have a sexy free agent coming in town, and everybody believes themselves the contender. And kind of like this year, Nikola Meritich wasn't made available, and Del Demps was very clear that he'd been chasing him for a long time. But he wasn't made available until some of these teams kind of drop off the cliff and uh, until they kind of identify themselves as bottom feeders. That might take some time. And he also—both both Alvin Gentry and Demps uh, mentioned— how hard it is uh, to acquire players. And then they both were praising Gail Benson. And I know they were doing it just out of the bottom of their heart. She's a wonderful woman. Alvin Gentry said, quote, she flew to every game, every practice, ate lunch with us, told the guys how proud she was after every game. We coined the phrase, uh, Hoodie Gail. Uh, He said, this is the way that Mr. Benson, or she said, this is the way Mr. Benson would want to pick it up. Let's go. Three things are happening in this conversation. Sorry, that's Kevin. Uh, He wants to be heard at this point. I he's furious that I'm giving this question to David but the reason that all these three things are happening at the same time is I believe that these guys of course they want what's best for Gail Benson but they're also posturing just how important if you want to contend paying into the luxury tax is it's gonna be hard to acquire players via trade without giving up something substantial it's gonna be hard to acquire players in the draft and some I, I'm repeating myself but in free agency they don't have a lot of flexibility so at this point in time David how likely do you think it is, even without the superstar player, as Ali just alluded to, that she might take the risk anyway?
3: Well, let's, let me just imagine how that conversation goes. If Dell and Alvin, they sit down in front of her desk and they say, we'd like to do this, 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 and it's going to make us go over the luxury threshold. If I'm her, there's one question. Do you think this team can win a championship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they say yes, well, then everybody's accountable. Yeah. Because then you won't see them back. The next season, if they don't win it, or at least make it to yeah, exactly a conference right. final, because that's the only way. And from their comments today, saying we're not close enough yet, this was fool's mm-hmm. goal. Yeah, then how do you make that argument to her to say we need to spend 130 million dollars on talent this year? Unless you hit a home run, yeah. yeah so unless you do pull in an all-star level player, a Paul George or you know something like that, yeah, you can't go to her logically and say we want to go way over the threshold
4: here. Let me ask you this though, of, of that, say whatever move they would make to get into the luxury tax, um, because I was asked this on SB uh, Nation Radio the mm-hmm. other day. Is like, what what do the Pelicans have to do to compete with the Golden State Warriors? And my answer was, be patient because they're not going to stay. That team, yeah, like that, you know, the Celtics have been saying that for four years. You know, you just have to wait, and that's really all you can do because that team is a historically amazing team. Or you have to get lucky that they have an injury one year. I mean, but but my question is, I mean, as a fan, you hate to hear that they are not willing to pay the tax to have a, a a great team unless they think they can compete. Because I want to see the best product, obviously, but you understand it. But if you could guarantee a fifty-win team every year, at least a four seed
3: at the luxury tax though—that's yeah. what I'm asking. That, that's not really worth. That's like the Saints. Okay, let's say you know the years when the Saints were spending tons of money, mm-hmm, and yeah. we're finishing mm-hmm. nine and seven. Mm-hmm. But and nine and would,
4: seven is different than a fifty-win team that's competitive in a four or three seed in the in the West. And you but if you money. lose in the
3: second round, I mean the Saints would make money whether they finish right, five this, and eleven. <laughs> but if
4: you could get the Pelicans, if you have consistently. Four, three, tax. seasons. Yeah, not let not me, let
1: me let me jump in here. You're not just fighting for the championship. The New Orleans Saints are New Orleans. Right. The Pelicans are not. That's what right. Finishing I'm in at. the top mm-hmm. four seeds every year is is not in and of itself important. Just because the Pelicans are competing, just. To get to the second round, it's also building a relationship with the fan base, and that's something right now the Pelicans desperately need. Ollie, that's
2: what I'm trying to. They,
3: try. they do have to sell. I mean, they do have to sell tickets. They do have to sell tickets, but also, but and they have to continue that. They have to make fans believe like there's an investment in the product. Right. But again, if you cripple yourself so that when it is time in three years, when AD is yeah. ready to re up or leave. And then, like you said, when the Warriors do make their eventual decline, because they have to. I mean, when Clay Thompson becomes too expensive, they've already said that they don't want to keep paying the luxury tax. Andre Godal is getting to the point where he's going to retire soon. They're going to get less good. LeBron is going to get less good eventually. Never. You know, I mean, it's, it, it <laughs> yeah, has to I, happen. Yeah. So, I mean, he, you know, two, two three years down the road, yeah. all these teams, you know, yeah, then you're looking at the Bostons, the Phillies, the, 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 the you know, and, and even Chris Paul is thirty-four, you know, James Harden is twenty what eight. So I mean you know, there's not this these dynasties waiting after the warriors fall. You have a chance to build towards that. So I don't I, 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 I don't think it's a great idea to go all in now and then you're hamstrung With a team that you don't really want, and then if AD walks because you couldn't get to that level, and now you're stuck with two, you're stuck with Drew at at his level, and then whomever else you have at that at that that max level, and you can't bring in another guy, and the team falls back to being a forty win team. I mean, it's the Clippers Raptors question. What what is good
1: enough in terms of not just ownership but a fan base? What what are you happy with, Ollie?
2: Yeah, good analogy. I was just going to bring up the Clippers and all those years of where they did go into the tax, and look what they got them. Nowhere. So, no, I don't, I don't think you need to go to that extreme. as to where David just sem- simply said you don't need to push all your chips in. What he isn't saying is that we need to go about 90 95% in, which you, we need to do. But you don't need to go up and above the tax line. As we've seen Dell Demps operate, he knows how to maneuver around the salary cap better than most GMs. And I've heard this not just from my through my own bias, but I've heard this amongst the league talking to some people before and after games. Uh, he's a wizard, and so he's, he's got for finding talent. And like, like we've been saying, unless they hit that superstar, unless it's a home run that, that is also a good fit for this team. We saw, and we were just talking about it um, before we started the pod, OKC, Carmelo, how Paul George and Russell Westbrook, how that just never came together, and it didn't make sense. And now it's just kind of obvious in retrospect. The Pelicans are trying to avoid that situation. Sure, maybe they can have that third um, superstar, but if it doesn't make, honestly, a fit for the roster, then why should it make fit for the economically, you know, to go ahead and jump into that tax? So, no, I don't think by saying that we're not agreeing to every scenario of going in a luxury tax is somehow a bad thing. That is not a limiting thing on the team, not a limiting thing on reducing the odds of a 51 season. It's just a small, small step of just – before you jump in full head-on into a lake that may have an inch of water. And That's you know, all David's saying. And
3: yeah, and I think you're looking at a Western Conference right now that that group, everything below Houston and Golden State, is about the same right now. So I don't think you have to spend all that money to still be in the range of possibly earning a home court a playoff series in the first round. I don't think they have to, you know, obviously you have pieces to replace, but with that core that they have right now, there is competitive – Without, you know, mm-hmm. even without Boogie being mm-hmm. in the lineup, they were as competitive as any team mm-hmm. in the league. They had what the sixth best record in the league mm-hmm. after the All Star break. So, yeah, they could be, they could win another 45 to 48 games next season with this group. They could. Or more. Or more. Or yeah. maybe more. Yeah. But, yeah, but I don't see the rest of the people. There's not a move that I see amongst that other group interior wise, unless, again, unless the Lakers do something amazing that pulls any of them away from the Pelicans to the extent that they drop back to scratching and clawing to get into the playoffs. I think they're in a place right now where they are in a good place. where before we thought they were maybe 6 through 10, now they're in that 6 through 3 spot. And that's a good place to be. Kevin, do you want to follow up on this? Yeah, the only thing that I
4: would – like I understand everything you're saying and I don't necessarily disagree with it. The only thing that I I feel is like you look at a Toronto, you look at um like a Memphis. I mean, yeah, they they don't have, you know, other American sports there. You know, in the, in those cities, you know they they have hockey teams there's in same Toronto, whatever, teams, yeah. right? But they have a rabid fan base, and sure. and they have a deep connection with the city. You know, you look at the watch parties outside of that Toronto stadium. You know, that's incredible, the Canadians, right? But you know, I think we love there's our also, Canadian I listeners. Because. I also think <laughs> that there's a kind of so value in 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 spending that money, that guarantee that you have. Uh, a 50 win team that's competing, and you know, you might look into a championship, not necessarily that you are a
2: championship team. But Kevin, but, what so, scenarios? Let me ask you this what scenarios do you envision where it, it requires going in attacks for
1: role players bogey, for two we, more wins? Then we have to go into the wins. attacks just
2: to, to bring back to, for
4: John to, to, Rondo. to do two more wins. My point is, it's not necessarily that, it's just that. I think the money You're will. You're saying come, not have any barriers, period,
2: no matter what, right?
4: The the, the money, because look, we're talking about know. a team right now that's that's $98 million in, in salary, mm-hmm. and you still have to worry about bringing him back we're on there. So we're like on that verge we're anyway. There. We're already at, uh, at the 15. hard cap. So, like, spending a little bit more of that investment, it might be you may never win a championship, but you might win a city, and yeah. you might have long-term financial success and you might build a culture
3: but I think part of that was done without the players because I mean with with, without regard to the spending because the the thing the Pelicans had not had was an identity Mm -hmm. and and I hate this again we hate framing this but the team that we saw over those last 28 games that was what Alvin had promised Mm -hmm. Uh and that identity I think captured the fans, I mean, I, that's what they, they came to see was the team run and shoot and, you know, Anthony getting dunks in transition and all those things. They were waiting for an identity, and this franchise had not had one since Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler were running the Crescent City Connection. So if they can can, can maintain the style of play, that it's entertaining every night. that the results. Right, with the results, that they're winning – Forty-eight. If they can win 48 again next year, 50, and stay in that position. Because it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder, too. It's, you're not sneaking up on people. You're not, you know, people are now going to start adapting to you. But uh, but I think, yeah, I think that will win the city is if you could, they continue to uh-huh. to have that identity. Because even, you know, that's what Sean T- Payton's thing was when he came for the Saints. It was, we we're going to be the most high-powered attack in the league. And we're going to throw the ball over the place. And we're going to accentuate our superstar, who is Drew Brees. Well, this offense right now is built for the superstar in Anthony Davis. And so as long as you're flushing out those pieces around him to complement that and make him better, then I think they can still capture the city. Because, I mean, you know, the the numbers of the fans, we've been sitting up there and they tell us 17,000, 18,000 anyway, and we know (laughs) that
2: when there's 11,000
3: people in the building. So those tickets are sold
2: to somebody. Just
3: as a quick
4: counterpoint Mm -hmm. to that, look at the most successful years of the Saints was when we ran the ball. When you actually I'm not talking about away, when you got away but, from yeah, that, yeah, so, oh, absolutely. Like but
3: I'm just saying the identity more, became the identity of the franchise was Breeze. Let's, it's breezes the identity. Let's
1: go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we're at an hour and ten at this part uh, yes or no <laughs> question, okay. Alexis Agenza, are they gonna stretch him? I think they're gonna try and trade him. Yeah, I
3: think they'll try to get rid of him. Yeah, it's a trade. I don't right. think they stretch him.
1: Frank Jackson, Dell uh, Dump Solis, he's going to be in the Summer League. We've got a question from uh, Bud Lane about Frank Jackson. Thanks so much. He said, will he be ready to step into that Ian Clark role? You mentioned if you're not going into the tax and you bring back Boogie, you obviously can't bring back Ian Clark. Uh, Kevin, tell us briefly, briefly, uh, what you expect from Frank Jackson in Summer League.
4: I don't know what to expect from Frank Jackson in Summer League. I know he's – I didn't see a lot of him in college. I'm not a big college basketball fan. He didn't play that much in college anyway. So um, he's an enigma to me, but what I know of him is he's a super athletic guy, which is something we've lacked, uh, especially on the perimeter. So that's exciting, and I hear he has a pretty good jump shot and pretty efficient three-point shot. Um, So, you know – I thought Ian Clark was an average player coming over. I know Grubb's a much bigger fan of him than <laughs> I was. I, and, and, I, and, and and you know, he played really well down the stretch. Yeah, he was tough. He wasn't much. good in the beginning. So the thought that Frank Jackson could step in and play as well as... Ian Clark isn't that much of a stretch. So I, that's something that is interesting to think about.
1: I'm going to throw it over to Grubb. Uh, we already answered Landon DeVall's question. This is for everyone. Biggest need and realistically who would be able to fill that need. Thank you so much for that question, uh, Landon. Obviously, it's a it's a wing. Uh, but with Waka Waka Wakanda, this is for Grub. And just in terms of the Smoothie King experience, he asked a couple of questions about what the Pelicans can do to make it feel a bit more New Orleans in style. Uh, one was... What happened to that boy by clips when an opponent misses a free throw? And Big Freedia, you already know when Pelicans hit a free throw. He says he loves the show. We love you, Walker Walker Wakanda. Thank you so much, Grub. Talk about what can make the Smoothie King. Obviously, they did such
3: an incredible job during the playoffs. How can they do that year round? Well, part of it is is sticking to what they're trying to do. I mean, you know, one of the big things that we discussed were nights, the theme nights. You know, like Noche Latina and uh, and, <laughs> and um, uh, was Wrestling Night. It's like they didn't stick with it. it. It didn't feel like that was... So when they did these theme nights, none of them ever felt right. Um, really, the only time you hear a lot of New Orleans music mm-hmm. is when the, the dance team comes out. You don't hear it before the games. And I know I've heard that the players went to the arena staff and said, can you play our stuff, stuff that we like? Um, it needs to, the arena in general um, and, and the game experience as a whole needs to feel more unique. It feels very sterile. It yeah. feels very it's professional. They always get high ratings for the way it's operated. They do a good job of doing what they do. Mm-hmm. But it's not New Orleans. And New Orleans it's is a place a that requires card. entertainment. It requires bigger which is funny. But uh, it just needs <laughs> it, it just needs that it needs that excitement before the game and, and, and a lot of it um, during the game it, and it just it, 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 it's like being pulled out and stuck into a game of 2K because it's that generic. And I think that's what fans want to hear. They want to feel the New Orleans come out of it. They want the halftime acts to be more New Orleans. Talk they want, how great
2: they did in the playoffs.
3: Right, bringing in guys, you know, hip-hop and jazz and, you know, bands and things like that, that people knew, local artists, giving them both exposure to people who had never heard them in a, on a national level. But just locally, it just felt like... Yes, even the national anthem was sung by people who were local legends. And, and that's what they have to do is just make New Orleans is a unique place. Like, was it Tennessee Williams who said that there are only three unique cities in America? That's right. And New Orleans is one of those three New Orleans, San Francisco, San Francisco. and New York. Yeah. And everything else is just whatever. So, New Orleans has to be unique. And that's what they have to focus uh, Ollie, on. let's okay. go I ahead. To say, I
1: okay.
4: No, I would just say. You know as much as praise we gave them for the for the playoffs with the halftime acts that was it was limited to the halftime acts it wasn't the yes, arena music yeah. and i just don't understand like you look at uh and i want to do a piece about this and i and uh chris connor and i have sort of talked about it i want to re-engage him and try to put together like oh an idea of every sort of music clip that you could play for every scenario and tie it locally and i think that would be fun but also, if they're worried about, you know, sort of the family environment of, uh, you know, playing a bunch of, like, you know, No Limit Records or uh, Cash Money Records music in there. Which, play, but they play local, they play, play rap anyway, play. it doesn't matter. But, but you look at what Atlanta does, where they have a guy playing uh, organs, playing, like, modern music that way. You look at New Orleans, what we're known for. We're, we have that very specific type of rap music, and we have Banks. brass bands. Why not get brass bands to cover... <laughs> Local rap music yeah. and play that in the arena. You see brass bands covering local rap all the time and it's amazing. And yeah. that would be something totally unique that fuses the two. And I've always said, why not always have a DJ Jubilee dance party? Dance cam should just be DJ Jubilee live, yeah. rapping Maybe in the fresh arena. Beats or whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever. There's just so much that they could do. And, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that this playoff halftime act stuff is a launching po- point into fixing that. And even like, the genericness of our uniforms like come on they they look like pre-designed like when you when you create a team on 2K, the only one you like, like is Temples. the red one. That's the only yeah, one I, and I like. And I it, like the white one. And really it's not weird.
1: even that nice, you know. I mean, it's just it's just, it's,
4: it's, red. just it's better than the other ones. You know? All right,
1: let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you so much to J Dub and JC's Dad. Sorry, I haven't eaten since I think one o'clock. We're we're at eight thirty now. Let's go. Eat. Uh, Ollie is our <laughs> editor and tr- chief to the dot All of this kind of happens because of Ollie, and so grateful for all the help that you've given yeah. to all of us. Just a supportive person in general. not. not not just our editor-in-chief. I, I just want to take this moment and let you wrap this up, wrap up the 17-18 season, not just what what it meant to the Pelicans, what it meant to the fans, but why, why people in New Orleans need to continue investing in this team and why this team is one of the more exciting ones in the NBA and just how lucky we are.
2: Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> I wouldn't just settle for the thank you, but all right. <laughs> Best thing you can say, honestly, is... The Pelicans have always lacked kind of for a fan base, right? Or you've had fans that have been left unhappy, season after season, longing for something, whether it's results, whether it's entertainment, and they got everything this season. And so what we saw was uh, in the playoffs, I'm just going to stick to the playoffs because as David just mentioned, you kind of heard all these these, uh, attendance levels and they honestly, they uh, fascinated quite a bit despite the fact that the team was back to their winning ways on a 10-game winning streak. And He still kind of signed the arena so I don't want to you know belabor that point too much but let's focus on the playoffs and you know what that was an experience. I was here for a game back 10 years ago and honestly I feel like this was it, it felt better everything about the experience the energy was more genuine you had a product like first of all it's important to have the identity as David just mentioned to but then you've got not just one star player but two they're young. They're engaging. They're wonderful in uh, podium talk. You, you know, you don't worry about guys ending up in jail. They're being any kind of problems off the court. And they seem to have a really good camaraderie. That is one thing New Orleans loves. That's why they're so, you know, I think hell-bent on the Saints. Honestly, it's this bond that was formed. And you have to be able to really appreciate a product, not just for its, um, all the wins, not for just the entertainment, but you truly have to generally like what you're watching. And I feel like for the first time this season, they got that. And so moving forward, all I ask is that the fans keep supporting the team, do it whether it's through season tickets, whether it's just wearing their gear, talking about them. But that's what's gonna make this team take that next level. Because honestly, Jamel- demanding coverage. Jamel McMillan, yeah. We need to have (laughs) local coverage, it's got to improve, but you know what, it is improving. So I I just think the great step was taken this season, but again, as Alvin Gentry said in the press today, more needs to be done.
1: Definitely, Uh, well said by Ali. Keep it going, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you so much to Kevin B. for Bounds, at DM Grub, at Ali Cosell. My name is Preston Ellis. If you like what you're hearing, continue supporting us. If you want coverage, like subscribe, Ali said, like David said, subscribe, subscribe retweet, <laughs> share, comment with your friends, comment, do everything you need to continue spreading the word and continue telling. Ali's coming to your house. Yeah, these four guys in here that you want to continue hearing about the New Orleans Pelicans. It's going to be a long offseason, but there's going to be a ton of news. And like Ali you said, said this is one cushions. of the more interesting teams. In the NBA right now, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, these guys play it the right way. They bring their families to the arena. They fight against adversity. They could have quit so many times this season, and they chose not to, and they gave us something to celebrate. It's time to be a Pelicans fan if you're not already. Uh, again, like we said, retweet, subscribe. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you to David. Thank you to Ollie. We'll be with you all off season. But with that being said, one, two, three, Cancun. Let's go, Pels. <laughs> <laughs> hope you've enjoyed listening to The Bird Calls on OTG and Nothing But Nut here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
2: How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball pineapple truth
1: it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at geico.com
2: what are you talking about paperclip shoulder shrug high five wizard hat
0: what geico
1: 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more
0: let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls she has plenty of time to think if she could sadly she has no brain however When an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life.